from anger, maybe it's to uh, test you out, that Bob was sharing, Bob Goddard Jr., that the Indians who he works with, that if the missionary, the worst sin that can be committed in front of those Indians or to those Indians or cause an Indian is anger. That's the worst sin. And uh, how would you like to work with people that if you display anger or cause them to become angry, you would lose your testimony? Wouldn't that be something? I wonder why that guy seems so cool and calm and meek and mild, you know. God put the right guy down there. But tonight we're going to study something I think is very important, it's very relevant, and it's dancing. What does the Bible have to say about dancing? This will be a comprehensive study of dancing in the scriptures. Dancing is mentioned in the Bible ten times. And let's look tonight and see what God says about dancing. If you're a parent, if you're a parent, you may want to get the tape, and I want you to take notes, but you may want to get the tape. You may want to do a deeper study on this than what we can do tonight. That's why we tried to allow 45 minutes, because what we want to look at is the 10 times dancing is mentioned in Scripture, what took place, and what happened. You know, it happened, what took place by those who either watched or those who participated in this thing of dancing. It's a real uh, problem, a real struggle, and we want to uh, deal with that because it's a very relevant issue right, right now facing the young people in our church. And to wait longer would be um, bypass, waiting too long, I think, if we put it off any longer. Turn to Psalms 150, verse 4. People will use this verse to say, see, look what the scripture says about dancing. Psalms 50 verse 4 says, Praise the Lord with a timbrel and dance. Praise him with the string instruments and organs. There's four things you want to say before we look at the two types of dancing mentioned in the Bible. The first thing is that the dance is one of the highest forms of worship known to God. It says right here. It's a, it's a scripture verse. So we see that dancing is one of the highest forms of worship known to man, to God, expressing his worship to God. So the second thing we want to say, and that is the dance, therefore, is not wrong in itself. But don't go home. Number three, dancing falls into two basic categories in Scripture. And we want to look at both of them. The first one is the sincere dance. The second one is the sensual dance. All of the ten reference to dancing in the Bible, you without any problem could put them on one side of the chart or the other. Is this a sincere dance or is this a sensual dance? The fourth one is, there are ten occasions where dancing is mentioned in Scripture. Six of the things, uh, of the occasions we'll look at are sincere dancing. Four are sensual dancing. Now, so we want to do a chart, and we want to divide the chart in half. We'll put the sensual dance, I mean, sincere dance on one side, and the sensual dance on the other. So if you get the tape, you probably want to make the chart out anyway. So if you're sharing it with anybody, they'll know. So on one side, let's put sincere. We have the sincere on this side, and we'll have the sensual on the other. Now, the characteristics, and you can write it down underneath, the characteristics of a sincere dance, there are certain things that fit it. Number one, usually, as you read, as you look at these six instances, it was a result from spontaneous joy. Those who were dancing sincerely unto the Lord, they danced because of real joy. It was just something had taken place. They were very, very happy, and they danced. It was usually done alone or with the same sex. 
Now that's, that's on this side. Okay, the sensual dancing, the characteristics of that, it was a planned appeal to the senses and for the gratification of sensual appetites. So all of the dances that you're going to see that are sensual were all dances they planned. They were all dances planned ahead of time. The sincere dances were dances that took place uh, spontaneous as a, as a result of something taking place. Now let's, we're going to go down and we're going to look at these situations. Okay, the, and we're going to take them as they come in Scripture. We're just going to start in Genesis and just look at, or we won't start in Genesis, we'll start in Exodus. But we'll just take these dances and just look at them as they come. Okay, the first sincere dance is found in Exodus 15, 20, and the dancer or the leader was Miriam. Let's turn to Exodus. And Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. What took place? She led the women of Israel in a dance to celebrate, what was she celebrating? The victory over the Egyptians as the Red Sea closed in on them. So this took place immediately after they crossed to the Red Sea, the sea closed in on them, and that was a spontaneous dance of joy to God uh, for the victory that he wrought there. Okay, the second dance was done by Jephthah's daughter. I don't know if you, sometime we don't do justice to Jephthah's daughter, but we will at another time really study this out. But Jephthah's daughter, and this is found in Judges 11.34. Now all we're doing at this time is setting the occasion. Then we're going to have to go back and look at what happened. Judges 11.34. And Jephthah came to Mizpeth unto his house, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with timbrels and with dances. And she was his only child beside Beside, he had neither son nor daughter. And so here was Jephthah. He, she danced out of her house, meeting her father, because he's returning from victory. He had just had won a great war, and she went out to meet him, and she was joyful and dancing and, and uh, using uh, musical instruments to meet her uh, father. The next one is the daughters. This is plural. The daughters of Shiloh. And we have this in the book of Judges. We'll look at 19a and 21a. We'll go to Judges. Look at this, the occasion uh, for this dance. These were a group of girls. Wait, I didn't give you the chapter, did I? I was saying, that's the wrong chapter. I know where it is on the page. It's, um, can't be right. I have Judges 21. Oh, yeah, I didn't remember the Book of Rufus over there. Look at the Book of Rufus, I didn't remember saying that. 
you'd have to look at my Bible. I just couldn't look over here. Okay, uh, verse 19. And behold, there was a feast unto the Lord in Shiloh yearly. And it tells about this feast. And in 21, behold, the daughters of Shiloh come out and dance dances. That's all I want you to read right now. And we'll get the setting. But in this, the situation in this one was, there was, this was the only season of the year that the Jewish virgins were allowed to dance. This was not for their own recreation. This was not a gym class, but it was to express their holy joy. So once a year, the daughters of Shiloh, it was predicted. You would know if you went to Shiloh, the virgins, and they danced by themselves, there was to be no onlookers. And these young maidens would meet, and they would, it was a, a, a feast day to the Lord. And they danced unto the Lord, these girls. And they did it every year as unto the Lord. Okay, the next one, we have the women of Israel. And we find this in 1 Samuel. Eighteen, six, and seven. And it came to pass as they came when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistines that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, and with instruments of music. The women answered one another as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. The fifth sincere dance we find in 2 Samuel, well, let me put down the man, it's David. And we find it listed in 2 Samuel 6, 14, and 15. And it was when the ark was returned to the city of Jerusalem. As the ark was being returned, verse 14, and David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was girded with a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sounds of trumpets. And so here was David dancing with joy to the Lord before the ark as it was coming back to Jerusalem. What a tremendous uh, time of joy. Remember, it was locked. They didn't know where it was. Remember all the struggles they had to the ark, and finally they, the enemy sent it back, and so on. And then the the sixth one, and this is the only planned dance that was sincere. All the rest of these were spontaneous. You, you realize that, don't you? It was a spontaneous thing. It was. It was the circumstances prompted. These people, to just where they were so excited, they danced to the Lord. This is the only planned one on the sincere side, and we find this the prodigal son. We find this in Luke. Pardon me, Luke 15, 24 through 27. Luke 15, I'm trying to go fast because we've got a lot to cover. We're just getting the groundwork covered. And it says, For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be married. Now the elder son was in the field, and when he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked, What does this mean? 
And he said unto him, My brother is come, thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he had received him safe and sound. And we'll stop there. Now let's go over to the other side, and let's look, go back to the beginning in the Bible, and let's look at the examples now of sensual dancing in the Bible, because we must look at all the dancing. We find this, number one, the golden calf. And we have it in Exodus 32, 15 through 19. So let's look at this. Oh, I'm sorry. Why didn't you say something before? I think the, the screen is tilted a bit too much, too. If you turn off the light, we'll get a little better. Is that okay? Okay, we have the golden calf. Exodus 32, 15 through 19. Moses turned. Remember Moses was up in the mountain getting God was speaking to him and the children of Israel said, worry, but I think Moses is dead. You know, all the earthquake and lightning, certainly one of them must have got him. You know, and he's probably up there. He's not coming back, but they didn't dare go touch the mountain because what? They put a fence around and they say, anybody touches that mountain, dog, cat, or whatever. I can see some of the guys taking the calf, you know, and pitching them over the fence. But, you know, but if anything touched that mountain, they died. So they couldn't go looking for Moses. And he didn't come back, so you find in verse 32 that Aaron decided that it would be good to have a, just a good old-fashioned dance. And so they're preparing for that dance. You read all about that in 32. And the, the scene shifts back up on the mountain in verse 15. And Moses turned and went down from the mountain where two tables of the testimony were in his hand. And the tables were written on both their sides. One on one side and one on the other were written. And the tables were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, graven upon the tables. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people, as they shouted, he said unto Moses, there is noise of the war in camp. Now he had to be at one of these Jesus rallies, I'm sure. You know, as he heard that noise, he thought they were, you know what he thought? You know what he's saying there? I think they're killing each other down there. I think there's a battle. There must be a terrible battle going on as he heard all this uh, Jesus music coming in. And in verse 18, he said, and Moses said, it's not the voice of them that shout for mastery, you know, the way they would scream and holler when they'd kill somebody, neither is it a voice of them that cry for being overcome. But he says, the, it's the noise of them that sing, do I hear. So they had the same kind of rock music then as they did now. They probably had the, um, what would it be, the Exodus 5 or something, you know, down there, thumping it out. And see, it says, when they, as soon as they came to the camp, he saw the calf and he saw the dancing. Now we'll stop there. Well, I guess we can read that one thing. We can read that. And Moses' anger was waxed hot, and he cast the tablets out of his hand, and he broke it on the mount. We'll stop right there. But what happened here? We have, after turning from the leadership of Moses and God, they turned from that. The people sat down to eat and to drink and to get up. And what did they do? They danced sensually because you read a little later on that they found out that dancing with their clothes on impaired their movement, so they had taken them off. We'll see that as we go back and look at this passage. It was a very evil, uh, sensual dancing. The people were dancing naked. Okay, the second one here is found when the Amalekites danced. And it was a victory dance. And we find it in 1 Samuel 30, 16. Let's just look at the setting of that dance.
And when he had brought him down, behold, they were spread abroad upon all the earth. They were eating and drinking with the Amalekites and dancing because of the great spoil they had taken out of the land of the Philistines and out of the land of Judah. Now, when they talk about eating and drinking, they're talking about rivalry, or what do you call it? Revel what do you call it? Revelry? How do you say that word? Revelry? You know, when they're just, it's not just, they weren't having a little potluck. You know, we were eating and drinking over there. We weren't dancing. But, you know, we were eating and drinking. That's not what they're talking about. They're talking about just this, this, this horror, you know, this, this mass evil. The, the Hebrew brings it out. It's just the evil drinking and carrying on that they were carrying on. See, and they were celebrating the spoils after the battle. The Amalekites gazed in sensual dancing. The um, Amalekite is used in Scripture as a type of the flesh and the old nature. And God says, you are to utterly destroy the Amalekites. And you and I are to utterly put to death the flesh. Continually. Crucify the flesh. And put it down. The third one is dancing in the days of Job. Now, Job didn't dance. But Job refers to dancing in his days. Job 21 11 through 13. And remember, this is the oldest book written in the Bible. It's not the oldest chronologically, but it's the oldest historically. See, chronologically, Genesis comes first. Genesis covers, you know, you have the beginning, and Job had to come after Genesis 1. But as far as the timing of the writing of the book, Job was the first book ever written in the Bible. The first book ever ever penned was the book of Job. And in this book, it's interesting that Job mentions dancing. In Job 21, 11 through 13, they sent forth their little ones like a flock, and their children danced. They take the timbrel and the harp and rejoice at the sound of the organ. They spent their days in wealth and in a moment are gone down in a grave. Now, we'll just stop there, and we'll go back to this and look at it in a greater detail later on. But we're going to see that he does describe, and this word here for dancing describes the central wicked dancing in his day, especially when we go down further in the context. The last dancing, the last dance, can anyone think of the last dance, the last central dance? No? Those are references to dance, but this is actually somebody dancing. Who's the last person mentioned in the Bible that danced? Salome. Salome. In Matthew... Listen. Those of you who are putting your pennies in the piggy bank to go to Israel with us next year will go up to the very palace where Salome danced. And you will walk through that palace. You either walk through the palace on the top of the hill or the palace on the side of the hill because it was probably at Masada where Salome danced in Herod's palace. It's fantastic. He had one palace overhanging the mountain on one side so he gets a breezes. If the breezes weren't blowing that way, he built a palace at the other end of that mountain and the wind blew the other way. And you get to go through both palaces up there and it's kind of amazing when you stand in that palace like, this is where Herod, you know, life was taken from him as you stand there on some of those beautiful floors that they've uncovered, the tile floors that were built in this palace. But Matthew 14, 6. But when Herod's birthday was kept, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. It was the daughter of Herod's illegal wife, and she did a sensual dance before him at a royal feast. Now we want to go back, and we want to look at the consequences of each and every one of these dances. That's important. We're going to go back now and look at the dance in the setting and what were the consequences that took place at each and every dance? We'll try and get through as soon as we can, but there's no way that we can 
divide this message in half. We just must see the whole thing in its context or it'll lose its punch. Okay, let's go back and I won't write it down and you can write down now. Uh, the only thing I'll write down is the extra scriptures. Let's go back and let us go to the book of Numbers. Now, why was this dance? Why did Miriam dance? And I said, this is only an introduction. You get your Bibles out and you do a deeper study of dancing, but I'm sure that you will come to the very same conclusion that we must draw at the end of our, our study on dancing. In Numbers chapter 12, verses 1 through 10, Now, remember, Miriam was a prophetess. She prophesied when she was dancing. If you go back to that context, they were dancing and they prophesied unto the Lord. Miriam assumed the leadership in leading the women in dancing. She just assumed that leadership. Moses would say, I appoint you the leader of the women to dance. If you read the, remember, go back to context, she took the leadership and she led the women in the dance. We find later on here, that she was one of the first women livers in the Bible. And it cost her something. She really struggled in the authority of, she really struggled with God's authority structure. In fact, if you want to study, do a study on God's authority, study the life of Moses. It's one of the tremendous studies on how God works through authority levels. Spiritual authority levels and family authority levels and so on in Scripture. And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Egyptian woman whom he had married, or Ethiopian woman when he married. For he married an Ethiopian woman. And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? You know, really. And they're not attacking these other people. They say, You know, you think Moses is the only one around here that's got a, you know, a direct line to God? Hath he not also spoken by us? Or when did they, when did they speak by us? Well, when Miriam led him in dancing. She, she gave off these words and things. You can read it there. And look what it says. And the Lord heard it. They were talking. The Lord heard what they said. And now the man Moses was very meek. And this is a tremendous thing. This, remember I said the, the, um, that word meek, and we're studying meekness, but this is that verse. Now the man Moses. He didn't say Moses always was. Because Moses at one time was very, very angry. It says, now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. That's quite a statement. And the Lord spake suddenly unto Moses and unto Aaron and unto Miriam. Come out, ye three, unto the tabernacle of the congregation. And the three came out. And the Lord came down on the pillar of the cloud, stood in the door of the tabernacle, and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forth. And he said, hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so. Who is, and underline this, faithful in all my house? There's some tremendous statements here that God's saying about Moses. He didn't say he was perfect. They said he was faithful. With him will I speak mouth to mouth. I may give somebody a dream, and I may speak, you know, let somebody give a prophecy or something, but I talk face to face with Moses. Even apparently, not in dark speeches and the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then, ye are not afraid to speak against my servant Moses. How can you attack Moses and his authority? How can you assume that authority? And the anger of the Lord was kindled uh, against them, and he departed. And the cloud departed from the tabernacle, and behold, Miriam was what? Leprous. White as snow. Now, Miriam, from leading the women in praises to God, was encouraged to usurp more authority and was judged by God with leprosy. That's the only time she did authority and she had struggled with authority. Now the next one, Jephthah's daughter. Go back to Judges and let's look at the whole setting from 30 to 40. This is a tremendous tragedy. In the word of God.
Now, Jephthah, Jephthah had a great victory. Jephthah did something. We have not gotten into it, but we're going to go into it sometime. We're going to go into vows. Now, we haven't gone into vows and taught you about vows in the Bible yet. I know that. But Jephthah made a vow. You want to be careful about making vows. Jephthah vowed a vow unto the Lord. He said, If thou shalt without fail deliver the children of Ammon into my hands. Now, this is a vow he made to God. And vows can never be broken. Do you understand that? Now, we've got to study vows. That a vow made to God can never be broken, but only on one condition. And, uh, and I'm just going to let you hang there until we cover vows, and I'll show you the only one condition. And if you're a lady, you need to know about it. Because we know a lady made a vow, and I can share what happened to this lady. I, it's a real interesting story, but you can't hear it tonight. Um, but he vowed a vow to the Lord, and this is what he said. Then it shall be, whatsoever cometh forth of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the children of Ammon, see, I've killed them, surely, shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. Now, what did he promise? He says, as I hit the gates of my home, if God will give me victory, when I hit the gates of my home, the very first thing to meet me, I will sacrifice and burn it and offer it to God. Now you remember who came. Remember who came? And so Jephthah passed over the children of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord delivered them into his hands, and he smote them. And it says, and in verse 34, And Jephthah came to Mizpah unto his house, and behold, what was the first thing to come out and meet him? His daughter dancing with joy. With timbrels and dances. She was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass, when he saw her, he rent his clothes. Alas, my daughter, thou hast brought me very low. For thou art one of them that trouble me. For I have opened my mouth unto the Lord, and I cannot go back. See, we've got to study vows. There's so much we've got to study. Do you know that if people's lives, one of the things we checked out in counseling when a Christian was having all kinds of struggles in their life, we had to check out if they had vows they hadn't kept because there's certain judgments of God upon people that make vows and they don't keep them if they make those vows to God. We, we've got, you know, we've got to believe this book a lot stronger than what we do. And we have to believe that God honors his word. And if God says it, it's so. And this man knew when he said something to God, what did he say? I can't say, oh, I made a mistake. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. That was a dumb thing to do. What did he say? I cannot go back on the thing that I vowed to God. And she said unto my father, if thou hast opened thy mouth unto the Lord, listen to this girl, do to me according to that which hath proceeded out of thy mouth, for as much as the Lord hath taken vengeance for thee of thine enemies, even the children of Ammon. And she said unto her father, let this thing be done for me, let me alone for two months, that I may go up and down unto the mountains and bewail my virginity, I and my fellows. And he said, Go. And he sent her away for two months, and she went with her companions and bewailed her virginity upon the mountains. And it came to pass at the end of two months she returned unto her father, who did with her according to his vow which he vowed, and she knew no man, as it was the customs of Israel. And the daughters of Israel went yearly to lament the daughter of Jephthah the Gilead four days in a year. And so you see the consequences of that. Here was this girl, although perfectly sincere in her dance, became a horrible object of an ungodly vow that her father had made. And this was because she was the first one who came out of the house would be sacrificed to God. Okay, let's go to 1 Samuel 18. Let's see, this is, no. No, we've got to skip that one because that one is out of, out, of, out of order here. Go to Judges. 
21. The daughters of Shiloh. Judges 21. 19 through 23. That's the last chapter there. Behold, they said, now, do you remember what happened? This was a judgment put on the tribe of Benjamin. And some of the tribe of Benjamin escaped, you remember that? And they had no wives because they had been wiped out. And they said, we can't give you our daughters. And they said, there must be an inheritance for them that escaped of Benjamin, that a tribe be not destroyed out of Israel. Behold, we may not give them wives of our daughters, for the children of Israel have sworn, saying, Cursed be he that giveth the wife to Benjamin. So if you gave a Benjamite your wife, guess what happened? You got a curse on you. I mean, how would you like to go to the wedding and exchange the vows and your family got a curse? You know, he got the bride and you got the curse. You say, well, that happened one time in <laughs> our family. <no. laughs> I didn't know she was a Benjamite. Should have checked. <laughs> but he was, you know. But there was a curse. But they said, Behold, there is a feast of the Lord, they said to the Benjamites, in Shiloh, yearly in a place which is on the north side of Bethel, on the east side of the highway that goeth up from Bethel to Shechem, and in the south of Lebanon. Therefore they commanded the children of Benjamin, Go up and lie and wait in the vineyards. They said, These virgins come out and dance every year. They just they said, Feast unto the Lord, you guys just hide in the vineyards, and when these girls come out and dance, you go get them. And so it says, and they commanded them to go, and they went and waited in the vineyards. And see, and behold, if the daughters of Shiloh come not out to dance, dances. And these girls were sincere. They didn't know there were men out there watching. They were going to do this dance unto the Lord. And they came out of the vineyards, and they catch every one of you a man, his wife of the daughters of Shiloh, and go into the lands of Benjamin. And it shall be when their fathers or their brethren come to us and complain, we will say unto them, be favorable unto them for our sakes, because we reserve not to each man his wife in the war. For ye did not give unto them at this time that ye should be guilty. And so it says the Benjamin men, they went out and waited. The girls came out and danced. They went and grabbed these girls and carried them off. So the, the, uh, the dance of Shiloh, even though they danced modestly and chaste, it was a public dance and made them easy prey for those who had evil designs upon them. 200 men were hiding, and during the dance, they rushed upon the unsuspected girls and took them captive for their wives. Another consequence to a dance that was sincere. I'm sure that's not the marriage the parents had planned for their virgin daughters, but these fellows would come and grab them and take them off. The next one is found in First uh, Samuel 18. Six through nine. And this was the women of Israel. This was a spontaneous thing. The women of Israel were really excited. And here they were. Uh, there had been a great victory. And remember the women had come out and David had beat Goliath and the Philistines, and they were singing, and they had the music. In verse 7, the women answered one to another, and they played, as Saul had slain his thousand, David slayed, slayed his ten thousand. What happened in verse 8? That Saul that watched the dancing. Saul was very what? Angry. And the saying displeased them. And he said, they have ascribed unto David ten thousand, and to me they ascribe but thousands. What can he have more than the kingdom. And, da and Saul I David from that very day forward. And so here we have the, uh, the women of Israel called Saul. The, the dance caused what? Problems within the family. It caused Saul to become jealous of David. And this was reflected in his statement when he said, David has slayed his ten thousands, and I've only slayed my thousands. What did he seek to do after that? To kill David as a result of the dancing that took place. I mean, that was one of the results, the consequences of that dance. 
Look at David dancing before the ark in 2 Samuel chapter 6. They say, surely there's no consequences here. He was dancing all by himself. Here was David coming down the street, dancing, jumping around, and and uh, doing, um, I don't know, whatever they're doing today. Disco, or whatever, that kind of a thing. That's what he was doing. And as David was doing it, it was unto the Lord, just jumping around and dancing, twisting and all this type of thing. As the ark came into the city, verse 16, Michael, Saul's daughter, who was David's wife, looked to the window, and when she saw her husband, King David, leaping and dancing before the Lord, what was her response? She despised her husband in her heart. And they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in place in the midst of the tabernacle where David had pitched it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And as soon as David had made an end of the burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. And he dealt among all the people, even among the whole multitude of Israel, as well as to the women and men, one cake of bread and so on. When David was all through this, and then he came home. In verse 20, when David returned to bless his house, his wife, the daughter of Saul, went to meet him. And she said, and this is a very snide statement. How, excuse me, how glorious was the king of Israel today, who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaids of his servants as one of the vain fellows. You know what vain means? You know what we saw today? Empty-headed. As one of the empty-headed, shamelessly uncovered himself. She said, David, you ought to be ashamed of yourself the way you're carrying on and out there in public. And David said unto Michael, well, it was before the Lord. And what happened in verse 23? God put a curse on her, and therefore Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child unto the day of her death. So she watched the dance. She despised what she saw. She said things to her husband, and God put a curse on her so she'd be childless. See, David dancing in the ark was doing, you know, the modern type of dance. That's what it looked like. If we could see a picture of today of David doing that, it would look like some jumping around, all this kind of stuff. And as Saul, David's daughter, looked out the window and despised him in the dance, you know, she said how the, he had uh, behaved himself, then God judged her and she became childless unto her death. And then the, uh, have we skipped any? The last one is the product, prodigal son. I had them out of order on the back so they didn't come down right. The prodigal son in Luke 15, and we can just go on to the end of the chapter. In verse 27, we start there where we ended off. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry. Who was angry? The brother. Was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out to entreat him. And he said, Lo, these many years I do serve thee. I haven't transgressed at any time thy commandments. Yet you've never gave a kid for me that I may make merry for my friends. But as soon as this thy son, not my brother, was come, which thou, uh, which have devoured uh, thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It is meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead, is alive again, was lost and found. And so we have a dance caused the faithful brother to become what? Angry and jealous. It just had a consequence. You just see, every dance, there was some consequence. You know, regardless of why they were dancing, there was consequences mentioned in the scripture, someone watching or a participant or something. Now, let's... Well, so they were eating the food, they were drinking the liquor that they took, and they were just having a real party that they'd taken out of the land of the Philistines, out of the land of Judah, and God sent David in, and God went, and here they were drinking and dancing and carrying on. These guys with their hangovers and all their dissipation were no, not ready for David's army. And David smote them from twilight unto the evening of the next day. And there escaped not a man, save 400 young men that rode upon camels and fled. 
And so here we had David destroy all of the Amalekites except these guys that got on their camels and escaped God's judgment on them. Then let's look at Job chapter 2. This is our Job chapter 21. This is an interesting statement mentioned here in the book of Job, the first mention to dancing actually ever written. It's about the parents in Job's day that let their kids dance. Look at this. This is an interesting statement. The parents, in verse 11, sent their children like flocks to the dances. It says right there, they sent forth their little ones like flocks and their children danced. They sent them like flocks. They went in droves to these dances. And they took the timbrel and the harp to rejoice at the sound of the organ. And they spent their days in wealth, and they go down in a moment. Now, what did they say? Look what it says. Therefore, they said unto God, what are these young people at the dance say unto God? They said, depart from us. They're saying this to God. Depart from us, for we de desire not the knowledge of thy ways. What is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what profit should we have if we pray unto him? And it said that God will destroy these people in a moment. And then the last one is in Matthew 14. And you know the result of that. Verse 6, but when Herod's birthday was kept, the daughter of Herodias danced before them, and it pleased Herod, when he, whereupon he promised her with an oath to give her whatsoever she would ask. And she, being before instructed of her mother, saying, Give me John the Baptist's head and a charger. The king was sorry, nevertheless, for oath's, oath's sake, and them that would sat with him at meat, he commanded it to be given unto her, and he sent and beheaded John in the prison. And the head was brought in a charger and given to the damsel, and she brought it to her mother. If you look at every single instance of dancing in the scripture, there's not one time that there isn't some consequence either by the dancers or those who are watching that took place. There is, there is just no way, I don't think, that we as believers can justify dancing today, especially sensual dancing, which was always put down by God. And this I want to share with you, because we had a girl at our college that had a real problem. She was a ballet dancer. Not a belly dancer, I said a ballet dancer. She was a ballet dancer. And she saw nothing wrong. In fact, they were pastoring a church in Reno, Nevada. And she was giving the young girls in her church as a Bible club ballet lessons. And when she told me I was grieved, I said, how can you do that? And there, she's a wonderful, a wonderful girl. And she was a tremendous dancer. And I said, it is so wrong for you to teach those girls ballet. This is a, an illustration, and I just share it, and I'm sure you can give other illustrations, but a very talented girl. And this girl was a sincere performer, and she was a good interpreter of the ballet. And this girl was interpreting ballet on the stage, and among those that watched was a vile man. And he watched this girl, her dancing, although she was doing it sincerely and performing it in a decent way, stirred up lustful thinking in this man, which later resulted in this man ruining this girl's life morally. And if you would ask this girl today why she doesn't perform ballet any longer, why doesn't she dance professionally any longer, 
she would explain that there's still nothing wrong with the ballet in her eyes, but there is much wrong in the eyes of those who watch it. And a scripture that is so excellent for this is Titus 1.15. Let's look at Titus 1.15. Unto the pure, all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. And e but even their mind and conscience is defiled. We want to end our service tonight with a sad note. I don't want to cry. But one of our church people fell and has tarnished themselves. And they want to come tonight and talk to you. The person who fell is my son. Richard, would you come? Well, in PE, they started teaching um, dancing, and I participated in it. I was wrong. I want to ask you forgiveness for setting your backs up. It's really been hard at our house. It's been really difficult for us. This is the first time we've ever been in a community or in a school that, where the children were. You know, we came out of a school where the kids were encouraged to be godly. Not to get involved in sensuality. And they're teaching these young kids disco dancing at the high school and junior high. And Richard had a real hard time. And when he would have to stand alone, he didn't. And so he danced, or started learning how to dance, this vile, sensual, evil dancing at the school. And he's sorry. He's going to ask the teacher's forgiveness for letting the teacher down. And Richard feels very bad he let you down as a church. Because this church doesn't stand or doesn't stand for that kind of thing. And so I trust that you will forgive him and pray for Richard and pray for the other kids at school that are being asked to compromise their testimony for Jesus Christ and get involved in, in a regular, it's not just an outside activity, it's a required activity. It's gym to learn how to be, to do evil dancing. It's sad. And that's why we presented this tonight. Because your kids are going to be faced with it too. The schools will put tremendous pressure on the kids. I think it's tremendous to teach the kids to do the, probably the most vile form of dancing. That is today, disco dancing. It's very evil. To, I would not want to watch it. I've never seen it, except one time I peeked into a bar. I think I mentioned it. We were at a restaurant, and we were eating dinner. And this noise was coming out of the bar into this restaurant. The bar was totally separate from the restaurant. You came in and went into the restaurant, and the bar, you went another way. It was all this terrible noise and music and laughing and so on, and I... I thought, what is going on? And my wife and daughter went to the restroom, and I looked in, and there was these people doing this ungodly dancing to the dark lights, you know, and they flash on red, and they'd be doing this, and then it'd go black, and then green. I thought, I've never seen anything so evil in all of my life. And I, for the life of me, can't imagine why a school would want to teach kids to do that evil, vile stuff. I, I can't understand it. 
that what he can expect from the ungodly. So pray for our kids, mine and others too. Father, we know it's hard to stand alone in these evil days. And Father, what a tragedy that a school would have to stoop to teach young people such vile stuff if the kids of our age don't have enough problems already without learning this type of thing. And Father, we just pray that each and every young person would think it through. And Father, we know that it's not easy to say no and step out and sit alone. But Father, we pray that you would raise up out of this church a host of young people that would be identified with Jesus Christ and not ashamed to say, Lord, I'm on your side and I don't care if nobody else what they do or what they think. Lord, I'm not going to do that, which is wrong. I will not defile myself with that which is sensual and of the world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, you may think that a bunch of fellows standing in a line in a gym class, moving their feet, with a teacher teaching them how to move their feet to this sensual music, is really not so bad. Let me tell you, it's devastating. It's devastating. It'll wash them out in junior high. You know why Daniel was a great man? It's in chapter 1. He purposed in his heart that he wouldn't defile himself with that which he knew was wrong. And it was a little thing. It was a matter of eating. That doesn't seem like a big thing, does it? It's just a little thing. But because Daniel would not defile himself, God honored that. And when Daniel would stand alone in these smaller areas, as, the, you know, as his life progressed, the challenge became what? Bigger and bigger until when, what? He ended up in the lion's. But let me tell you, if Daniel hadn't back as a teenager, now he was a teenager, hadn't said, I will not eat that, he would have never ended up in the lion's den. And so, whether you know it or not, the greatest battle is for our junior high kids. That's where it is. And if these kids don't stand in junior high, they'll not be anything. You X them out as Christians. And some of our teenagers do not have the greatest testimony here in town. I hate to say that, but it's true. They don't, because they're not standing for God. And people know. It doesn't take long to find out. I haven't lived here that long to find out what some of the people are watching some of the kids and what they're doing. We don't see them, but they see them. They know what they're doing. They see them at these activities, and they don't expect kids that identify with God to be involved in some of these things. And so we really need to pray that God will do a real work amongst our kids, or we're not going to have a church later on, will we? There won't be much of a church if our kids are going to go the way of the world. And so in closing, I thought we'd just sing a, a song. I asked him just to play it on the guitar because it, it can be too loud on the organ or the piano. And may we just stand and, and sing a song. And Tim, lead us. I'm having little emotional problems, <laughs> but uh, I have decided to follow Jesus.